the Cubs Weekly Podcast by Wintrust, proud legacy partner of the Chicago Cubs, the exclusive home of Cubs checking open online today at Wintrust.com slash Cubs. Elise Menneker here with Tony Andraki and Tony, the big week. We now know that Kyle Hendricks, surprise, is the opening day starter for the 2021 season. Uh, what was, I'll, just, I'll get your reaction, probably not surprised, right? No, not at all. Honestly, the biggest surprise here was how long it took, you know? <laughs> March 23rd, like just over a week before the season started, it, it seemed like it was something that it was a foregone conclusion. It was going to happen sooner than this, but um, yeah, you know, Ross just announced it a, a, like, again, about a week before opening day, not a surprise at all. There was really no question about it. I don't think it, as long as Kyle Hendricks was healthy, he was making that opening day start for the Cubs this year. And I love what David Ross said. He's like, you know, Hendricks, his start was pretty good last year. He did pretty well. So he has confidence in him this year, but Let's talk more about Hendricks and the year he's coming off of and quite frankly, just the career he's having. And maybe that's almost a good place to start because you talk about Kyle Hendricks, you get that consistency and you even wrote about it yourself that he can be overlooked as an ace uh, because he's not a flamethrower. What's your take on that and just what he brings to the table for this team every year? Yeah, yeah, I absolutely think he's overlooked. I I think, um, it, his odds of winning the Cy Young were, I don't remember where he ranked on it. It was something like 30th among National League pitchers. And it was, that was nuts. It was, you know, plus 6,600. Arietta actually had better odds. This was on DraftKings, like, uh, you know, about a month or so that I looked. Oh, wow. And Arietta had better odds than Hendricks did. And that's, there's nothing against Arietta, but like, I don't know how that's possible. You know, like Hendricks is, has been the ace for a while. As you mentioned, like he obviously had an amazing opening day and then for the rest of the season last year was great. So he just, he continues to be overlooked, um, you know, underrated the rest of the league. I think in inside baseball, they, they know and appreciate him, but I think outside the, the media or fans or just, you know, the general public, maybe they, they see a guy only throwing 89 or 90 miles an hour in an era where everybody's throwing 98 or hundred. And they think there's no way this guy's eventually gonna gonna fall off a ledge, and he's eventually going to to just get rocked, and he's not gonna have a good season. Well, guess what? He hasn't had an ERA over three five since 2015. Like he's he's one of the most consistent, stable pitchers out there. And yeah, I, I I'm still stunned by how much he is underrated. But I don't think the Cubs opponents have underrated Kyle Hendricks for a while, and I certainly know this organization has not underrated him. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And exactly to your point, I love what Hendricks had to say in response to that. Like, do you think you're overlooked? And Hendricks is so humble. He would never say anything along those lines. Like, yeah, I'm awesome. But I like what he said that he says within this organization, I'm not overlooked. Like they all talk about like what I bring and they know what I, I can do each day. And that's all that really he cares about. And he always says that he's like, I just want to be the same person every outing for this team. That's all he's ever focused on. And it just, I think to your point, it does continue to amaze me with these pitchers. And I say these pitchers because now the Cubs have several who are like Hendricks who aren't flamethrowers and yet they can be so effective. There's something with this organization that they just know how to attack hitters with this pitching style. And I find it so interesting, just like what you said, in a time where growing upper 90s is more common than seeing guys who are in the upper 80s. I'm really excited to see this rotation, especially coming off the year where you had 60 games now to 162. And I think everything we're talking about is going to be an advantage for the Cubs because they don't exert as much effort in their pitching style. No, uh, yeah, I agree too. I think this pitching infrastructure, they're, they're very confident, you know, starting with like pitching coach Tommy Hadovy, they're confident in their abilities to do what you said, get some of these other guys. They're, they're zigging while everybody else is zagging. Yeah. And- that they can get this team, you know, uh, performing well and just preventing runs. That's really all it comes down to. And, and Ross said it a couple of days ago, and I really liked how he put it. He was like, I think he was talking about Dylan Maples, but he was like, I love velocity. I love stuff, but I love outs more. Yeah, and I, that's, I love that. it, yeah, it's great. And it like personifies where the Cubs are. They don't, they don't care about what the radar gun says as much as they care about getting outs. However, that's, you know, soft contact with Alec Mills and, and Kyle Hendricks and some of these other guys. And I think it's, it's showing up right now. Like I know it's just spring training, but Trevor Williams and Zach Davies have both looked really good. Hendricks and Mills are, are kind of locked in and Arietta looks a lot more like the 2015, 16 version than he did in Philadelphia. So 
yeah, I, you know, they're confident. I think they're confident for a reason, but I I'm with you. I think the, the Cubs zigging while everybody else is zagging is going to be this like amazing storyline to watch all year and see how it plays out in the regular season. And I asked Hendricks about that because when Arietta talked early on in spring training, he was like, you know, maybe now I can learn something from Hendricks because he does have this style that doesn't use a lot of energy and a lot of his, you know, effort coming off, like we were saying, a season where it was so short. And now uh, you go to 162, but even just thinking about Arietta specifically, and he's coming off of injuries and just wanting to pitch better. Um, I love that he said that because I think this rotation, they're each going to make each other better. And there's ways. And when I asked Hendricks about Arietta maybe coming to him, he said, well, that's just kind of our relationship at this point. That sure, maybe back when he was on the Cubs before I was going to him more because I was the younger guy. But now it's just kind of this open conversation and they're all trying to help each other. And I think really early, of course, we're talking spring training, but it's really fun to watch these guys go out there and pitch the way they are so far and to even see, like you said, look at an Arietta right now. I mean, that's really promising for the season. Yeah, it is for sure. And Arietta was saying that he he actually he talked about Tommy Hadovy and mm-hmm. and his pitching coach Mike Borzello, um, and and just all of this group. Chris Young, the bullpen coach, who actually was with Arietta for a couple of years in Philly, and then spent his first year last year with with the Cubs too. So all these guys coming together. Ross, you know, he caught one of Arietta's no hitters, so he yeah. had a different perspective on him as well. And and I think Arietta is a he's a big key to this too, right? Like if he does get back to somewhat level. Nobody's expecting him to have like a 170 RA again, but if he gets back closer to that level in the regular season, that makes the rest of the rotation look a lot better. Cause this is a guy that, that has the, the legit stuff that, you know, he's, he's only sitting 91, 92 or so with his, with his fastball right now, but like, it's still a different look. He has that crossfire kind of body action. It's, it's a lot different than Hendricks. It's a lot different look and motion for the hitters too than any of these other guys, Trevor Williams as well. So I think Arietta is a big key, but he was saying he feels really good. Uh, he has one more spring start where, where he will kind of taper off, but he feels ready to go for the regular season. And Trevor Williams too, looking a lot better. Another pitcher who's trying to have like a bounce back performance, you can say. And uh, something that has stuck out to me throughout spring training that anytime Ross is asked about these guys and what do you expect or what do you think they can do? He's like, I never want to put these guys in a box. He's like, I never want to set their ceiling first. I'll let them decide that. And I think that's just uh, so effective to, to preach that to your players, right? Just have them go out there because who says that Arietta, like, why can't he get back to a certain form, you know, 2015, 2016 form? Um, sure. He's getting older and we can list off the reasons why maybe he can't. Right. But um, I love that just going in there, trying to give it your all and not thinking like, I have to get to this point and then good, like I'm done. And I, I did that or like, that'll get me X, Y, and Z. No, I, I'm with it too. I think that that whole, that concept that Ross has of not putting guys in a box, that is kind of the exact reason why Javi Baez is the way he is now. Yeah. And these other guys have been able to flourish is because they haven't been put in a box and Alec Mills, for example, if, or honestly, Hendrick, we just talked about him and, how he's so different than everybody else. If somebody put him in a box as he was coming up through the Cubs organization, he wouldn't be who he is today. They would have, you know, maybe cast him aside or he was never a top prospect. You know, he was never, you saw him on top 100 lists or anything before making his major league base, you know, debut. So I, I think not putting guys in a box allows them to, like you said, go flourish. And all of these things, it's, there. there's motivation here. There's motivation for Arietta to get back individually. There's motivation yeah. Trevor Williams to, to get back to who he is too. So there's the individual motivation, but they're all kind of pulling from the same rope. And I do think, like you said, it, it's kind of Ross not putting guys in a box and that's kind of starting with it. It's like the catalyst of, of getting everybody to pull in the same rope and, and you never know where things can go. And that's why the Cubs think that they can, you know, their expectations are higher than what the outside expectations are for this team. And it also, I think, speaks to the other thing that Ross consistently talks about, which is we need to let these guys get back to being themselves. He felt like last year they got away with that for a variety of different reasons uh, because of the 60-game season and what that could do to players and their mindset and how maybe that changed their approach for that season. Uh, not having fans in the stands last year and maybe how that affected, like we know a hobby bias, how that affected him. And so 
I think that's something that'll be really interesting to watch as well as what does that mean for these players to get back to themselves, what that looks like, and then what does that mean for their success? Because that's the idea, right? If they are being themselves, then they'll have success. Yeah, you're right. Like they'll have success on individually. They'll have success as a team. I mean, yeah, like if Javi Baez and Rizzo and Bryant and Contreras and Hayward and Peterson and keep listing names off, if they can do what they're capable of, this team's going to score a lot of runs. Pitching-wise, if, if everything we just talked about comes to fruition, they're going to prevent a lot of runs. So, you know, th- these are big ifs. They are. And, and you know, I think Rizzo has been saying it since, like, 2016, and it was something Ross said. Like, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. And then just <laughs> yeah. have, right now, you know, they haven't been punched in the mouth. Things are great. It's spring trading. Everybody <laughs> is. But, um, but, yeah, like, getting back to themselves and who they are, I think – it's, it's forgetting 2020 so much. And it, we were talking to Anthony Iaposi down here and uh, the Cubs hitting coach. And he was, it was really interesting what he said. He was like in talking to other players and other coaches around the organization, other organizations outside of the Cubs, it seems like no matter if anybody did good or bad in 2020, they just want to forget about it. They want to move on. They want to move forward. You know, it, they just, everybody was trying to keep their head above water and survive last year. So, yeah, I think getting back to themselves and, and just being just getting back to a normal season, 162 games, uh, fans in the stands, not like a three week rushed summer camp that while it was cool to be in, in Wrigley Field, that was empty. It was also really awkward and weird and like, you know, not just trying to survive from day to day, but having an actual plan. I think that's going to go such a long way. I'm going to put you on the spot because you got to speak to Anthony Iaposi, the Cubs hitting coach, and. I'm curious what stuck out from like, is there one thing that stuck out to you? We talked about maybe last year and hitting struggles and what they can do this year to improve it. Was it simply just, they weren't themselves last year. And he thinks that was just kind of an anomaly. Yeah. You know what? I think that was part of it. And and Ross has spoke to it too, that they just want to, they, they wanted to change the work a bit and what they do offensively. Some of that is, you know, attacking earlier in counts. They felt like they maybe got a little bit too passive last year, which which that makes sense too. You know, it, if you get a fastball like right down the heart of the plate or in your wheelhouse in your strength zone, then then hopping on it right away instead of waiting to get deeper in accounts or instead of trying to push the pitch count up. I think that's a big thing, but it, it's the work and they haven't gone into specifics with the work, with the approach and all that. But what stood out when talking to Ty Posey was, um, I actually asked him, I was like, do you kind of feel like a therapist sometime with these guys? Like not <laughs> coach, but totally. a therapist. And he was like, oh, yeah, definitely. Like Ian have had those obvious shirts that, you know, it was like David Ross was manager. Andy Green was bench coach for for Iaposi and the other hitting coaches. He was saying that, like, you know, we got to put Dr. Phil on. We got to put like therapists. We got to put hitting coach. There were so many different things. They never landed on anything. So none of the hitting coaches ever were one because they had so many different options. Oh, man. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, you know, he preaches the mental game so much. And I think that is the big thing with these guys. Like Javi Baez can hit a baseball. We know that. Uh, Rizzo, any of these guys can. So last year you throw that out and you mentally get back in and, and locked in and, and feel good and confident and, and not feeling that pressure is really the biggest thing. I think they felt the pressure last year and they talked a little bit about it, but it just seemed evident in looking at the numbers offensively. Like they still won the division. They still won a good amount of games, but this offense wasn't where they wanted to be. And I think, I think they had made some adjustments to get back to that point. It's really fun that, funny that you say that about the t-shirts, because I was listening back to an episode of the compound last year with Anthony Iposi and Ian Happ even said like, Post has such a hard job because you bring in like all your problems to the batting cage. It's not just like what's on the field. It's like life coming at him and like, Hey, we need to forget about this or deal with this right now. And so it's so funny because I just listened to that. And that's like exactly what half was saying basically. And he made a good point that like, anytime you're going to the hitting coach, it's like, I stink right now. Like help me fix my swing. Like it's always a problem. It's never like, Hey, I'm doing awesome. Like you want to talk about it. So I think like to your point, that is, that is a perfect way to look at it. And so, yeah, I mean, and you also were talking about the mental side of it. I'm a big believer, not just in this, not just hitting, but this game is so mental. I've always thought at the plate that you don't have to have the perfect mechanics, but it's all about your approach and that mental game when you're up there. And so I guess your approach is, is part of that mental game as well. But just, I mean, there's so much that goes into it. 
you're talking about that pressure, like the confidence, sometimes even in the subconscious, you don't even know what's affecting you. Maybe you're tight or you're like not swinging the way you normally would. So uh, it'll be really interesting to see as we go back to a normal season, fans back in the stands, um, what all that is going to be like. And something else uh, that will be really interesting to see, who is going to play second base, Tony? Like early on, you're like, Nico Horner, you're on fire. Like can't stop him. Even now, Tuesday, two hits, RBI. I mean, but Bodie's got three home runs, right? In spring training so far. And I mean, good problem to have for David Ross. He said that earlier, right? Like, yeah, this is a problem, but it's a good problem. No, right. It, 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 yeah, it is a problem, but like there's worse problems I have. You could have no good. Right. right. Um, yeah. I, th- I think it, you know, going back to last year and, and talking about Hendricks starting, remember Nico Horner started that game at second base. Like I actually went back and looked it up because I was like, I think Jason Kipnis started, you know, they were facing a, a righty and Brandon Woodruff in that game. So I thought Kipnis started and I forgot that Nico actually did. And, and that kind of, I feel like that's a little bit of inside the mind of Ross too. And, with, with a guy like Hendricks, who does pitch to contact, and all these other pitchers, as we mentioned, too, I just think Nico, his defense is the best. And and these other guys, you know, Sogard has looked really good playing defensively, particularly like that shortstop. Bodie has looked pretty good defensively. I know the Cubs like Ildemaro Vargas's defense, but Nico's on another level. I, he just – he makes so many different plays. He's so athletic out there. He's a shortstop playing second, basically, and – he has a strong arm, you know, great range, great instincts. So to me, I think Nico is the guy that's going to get most of the starts for that reason alone. I think he's going to be, you know, this number eight hitter in the lineup. And if everything we, we said too comes to fruition with the rest of the lineup, you don't really need to count on Nico to hit a ton. You can just have him go out there, play good defense, you know, work good at bats, try to make contact, which are his skill sets. And then, you know, whatever else you get offensively is gravy but then just go out there and prevent runs for this pitching staff. So I think Nico's going to play a huge role in that, uh, but it's, it definitely, it's going to be interesting to watch over the last week or so of spring because Cubs just don't have room for all these guys. They don't have room for yeah. four second baseman utility type guys on the opening day roster. And we didn't even mention Vargas, who's also a versatile infielder, just like Sogard, who can make great plays, have good at bats. That's also what Ross has talked about, the versatility of these guys that could be on the bench. Um, and also when you talk about Horner, you say that, you know, if he gets good at bats, like it's gravy, like the hits that he can get, he is getting hard hit. Like these are, these days, these are not just like some singles that he's dropping in there. I mean, we also have you mentioned the shape that he got in the off season and how different he is and the, and the changes he's made to his batting stance that clearly are having a positive effect on his swing and what he's doing at the plate. Uh, in Tuesday's game, what stuck out to me too, you talked about his speed. He hit, gets a liner to write like down the first baseline and gets to third. I mean, that's someone who he's thinking three out of the box, like on a hit like that. He's not thinking two, he's thinking three. I mean, he was hustling. Um, and that's the stuff that I, I love to see it. Cause that's where they're kind of testing their boundaries in spring training. They want to see if they can make it testing their speed and where they're at. And I think that's something that Nico has been working on as well. And it's showing up and, and, that's been a fun part to watch his game this spring. And, and it's been fun to watch the competition because while we've talked a lot about Nico, Bodie's right there too. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of um, like we talked about it with the rotation. These guys just make each other better. Uh, and the, the competition is always this healthy competition where everyone wants to individually play their best to make the team better. Um, and so it'll be interesting. I think that was also a good call that you look back at last year's opening day. That's a good point and something that I wouldn't have thought to look at. So that's cool. Yeah. And, and I mean, Bodie's going to play a, a role regardless to, right. you know, like he, whether he plays second base a ton or not, he's going to play, he's going to, Bryant can move to the outfield. Bodie can play third, you right, know, right, right. Bodie might be the backup first baseman on the opening day roster too. And, and um, depending on that. So either way, you know, Bodie is going to be, talk about pitchers hitting pinch hitters. Bodie's like a, a great guy off the bench and we know he can get a pinch hit here or there. Uh, mm-hmm. He's obviously done that famously. So um, I, I think these guys are going to play a role. I'm not quite sure yet how Sogard and Vargas quite like fit into this mix. Sogard has this really high contact left-handed bat, veteran approach. You know, as you mentioned, Vargas can play different positions. So I don't know with that, like Jake Marisnik will be in the outfield mix. He'll be the fourth outfielder. And then it comes down to basically, you know, Vargas, Sogard, 
Cameron Mabin kind of all competing for, for like two or three spots, assuming Nico's on the opening day roster. So it, it's definitely going to be interesting to see these, these position battles play out. So at least as we're talking about the Cubs, I want to switch gears a little bit and I want to take a put on the little host jacket and okay. I want with you here, <laughs> I'll give you my mostly jacket. because I know we, I, I saw you tweet this recently and the article about you and your Cornell playing career. And I knew you were a good softball player. I didn't quite know some of this, like the record setting career that you had in college. Uh, the was record holder in doubles. And, and then top five in home runs, slugging percentage, RBI, run score, batting average. You hit 363 during your college career. So I take it whatever way you want. I just oh, would wow. like to know more about your, your softball career and how you got so dang good and <laughs> such a great career. Okay, you just want me to just take it. Just talk yeah. about softball career. Yeah, okay. Okay. <laughs> Well, funny thing is, as I was going through my career, it's probably not that funny because I feel like most athletes, I shouldn't say most, but there are a lot of athletes who are probably like this, where I never paid attention to my stats ever. Uh, there would be times where my dad would even like call me after a game where we'd be talking. He's like, so what are you hitting or this? I'm like, dad, I, I have no idea. Like, I literally don't have a clue. Um, so for me, it was always about like, what stood out to me when it became like, when it came time to play and being with my team. I wanted to always make sure that I was coming through when they needed me most, that uh, I was showing up my best version every single game and giving it my all. So to me, that's just the stats are, you could say a reflection of that, but to me more just that, you know, I cared about when I was getting hits, not just getting hits. I cared about if I was coming through in the clutch and we, it's such a fun game to me because there's that individual component and the team component. We were talking about it with the Cubs that individually, if you have this success, and your team will have the success. And so there's kind of like that somewhat, it's not a selfish component, but you focus on yourself and in turn you're focusing on your team. So for me, I think Cornell was just like the best fit. It really was. And that's a huge reason why I had the success there that I did. Um, it was the best four years of my life. I always say that I would do all over again in a second. Uh, love, love, love the team. Um, still best friends with everyone today. I was maid of honor in my best friend's wedding. Um, she lives out in New Jersey. And so of course we talk every day and we're still really close. Um, so those are the things that more than the numbers, I mean, honestly, even too, these days I've had to look up numbers and stats because it's not, that to me isn't like what has stuck with me. Um, it's those friendships, the bonds, just the memories that we have. I was actually even just messaging with one of my teammates today we were talking about like all the meals we would eat and like all the food that we would have. So like we were talking about like any hits that I had or anything. Um, but that's kind of what it means to be on a team. And that's really what sticks with you most. So you're very kind and thank you for the compliments about my career. Um, but really, I think it's just a reflection of how much fun I had playing because I always say when it's not fun anymore, you know, just stop because that's really the point of sports and and so I always made sure that I was having fun and I was challenging myself. I think that's a big thing too, is it's so important to never become complacent in sports. You always hear that there's someone else somewhere working harder than you. And so that actually was a huge driving factor for me that not just did I want to be my best self every day, but I wanted to be the best. Like you just want to constantly work and get better. You identify your weaknesses and you want to make them better. A huge thing for me was my defense, you know, growing up, everyone always knew me as an offensive player and that was great. And I loved it, but I also wanted to be known for my great defense at third base. And so I worked on that a ton in college. I would go in for hours um, doing individual sessions and fine tuning and perfecting and, and learning um, how to play third base at times. Uh, so that for me, is just kind of what I think about when I think about my playing days, the hard work, the fun, the people, um, and it was, I mean, to, to have won championships and to have things like that there too, that kind of reflect that, I think that's really special. And that brought us together because my freshman and sophomore year, we lost the league championship in the championship game. So we came up just short a couple of years and then to turn it around because that feeling is so deflating. Um, when you've worked your entire, it's not just the spring for softball, you're starting, you're working the fall. And so you're working all year to that point. And so you kind of set motivating driving factor for the next year. And so to see the results and um, to share that with your teammates, it's, it's the best. I can't help but smile just thinking about my time at Cornell because it was awesome. How did you end up at Cornell? Uh, what, 
what was your decision to, to choose that school for where you played your softball career? Yeah, so um, I applied to a lot of different schools. A lot of people early decision the school they end up at, especially at athletics. I did not. Um, and so I was just, I mean, academics were a huge part of my life growing up. My mom really instilled in us. She wanted us to find our passion, work really hard in school. And sports were always just kind of like a hobby or a side thing. Um, and so then when it came time to looking at schools, I landed on Cornell because um, it was eventually the best school that, you know, that I got into and that I could play sports that it had the best of both worlds. And so that for me, um, I was even considering you know, as I was looking at schools not playing sports, which may sound crazy, um, I was even looking at playing tennis at some schools because what some people may not know is I played tennis in high school. I was on our state championship uh, tennis team. I placed 35th in singles my junior year, top 16 in doubles my senior year. So um, that was another, I was looking at walking on maybe some tennis teams. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, it's like hard for me when I talk about it I like can't even believe that because I had so much fun and I loved it so much um, that to think that I had thought about not playing sports, I had, you know, looked at other schools for journalism, say, and stuff like that, because I was a comm major at Cornell. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I just, yeah. And, and sometimes like, I don't even know how to describe it because I think about the people, the place, like just, I loved everything about it. It, so in talking about your journalism career and stuff too, how did you make that transition and how do you think being a, playing sports at the highest level, you mentioned your, your tennis career too, but playing obviously softball at a high level, winning a championship, how do you think that's helped you in, in covering sports too? Yeah, I think even what helped is I played pro in Sweden and it wasn't even so much the softball there, but the culture and learning someone else's culture and living in a different place. Like I went to Sweden two days after I graduated. So I got home from school, packed my bags and I was on a flight to Sweden two days later. So I was overwhelmed, but it's always through those uh, opportunities that you grow and that you learn a, a lot about yourself. And sometimes it's when you do things like that really quickly that you don't even have time to think or worry about it. You just have to do it. That's why I love playing third base. No time to think. Put me at shortstop. No, not gonna. I don't want to think. I just want to feel. Just hit it at me, and we're good. I'll feel with a high fly ball. You <laughs> no, I cannot. Like I'm not that great at judging fly balls. I'll admit it. I play there in like slow pitch. I'm. I have. I can throw it in. Like I have a good arm, but like no, judging fly balls is not not my thing. Um, but yeah, so I think it was basically the sports and life experiences that you get from playing sports because a lot of the way that I look at life now and I look at my job is the way I viewed sports or it's the lessons I learned from sports, um, especially softball. Uh, they always say that, you know, baseball and softball are a game of failure. And so you have to learn how to deal with failure because that's going to be a part of it. And then it's always how you bounce back from that and how you deal with it that really makes you that the person and the player that you are. So for me, I always had thought that I was the softball player I was because I actually played tennis. Tennis is an individual sport. You're having a bad day. You have to deal with it. You have to figure it out. No one else is there to help you. That made me a very strong softball player because it almost made sometimes my time in the field or in the batter's box easier because to me, that was like a situation that I could manage and handle better because I felt tennis was always more difficult and it was harder to navigate because when you're struggling like that, it just, you know, I just wanted to hit the ball. I just want to hit the ball hard in tennis. And that doesn't always work in tennis because you hit it out or in the net. Um, but in softball, you get rewarded. I always say you hit it over the fence and there you go. It's a home run. Um, so for me, it was, I love sports. So if we talked then about like getting into journalism, um, I had always thought I wanted to be a fashion designer. I wanted to work in magazine. It was through internships that I learned um, that I couldn't let sports go. And so then I started getting internships in sports, sports marketing. And it was when I landed on an internship at ABC7 here in Chicago that I was like, this is what I want to do the rest of my life. It didn't feel like I was going into work. I loved the people. I loved what I was doing. And that's when everything just kind of clicked. And I was like, okay, this is it. And when you were an intern, I think you covered Mark Burley's no hitter, right? I did. Perfect game. Yeah. Perfect game. Perfect game. Right. What was that experience like for you as an intern being at, oh uh, like, be, well, because what was it? Uh, it wasn't guaranteed rate. Um, it was, uh, no, I think it was guaranteed rate field. It was guaranteed rate. Yeah. No. 
our producer Carly. U.S. Should. Cellular. U.S. Yeah, you're right. The US cell. The cell before doing TV. Cellular. So what was it like being at the cell on the south side? That probably would have been easier on the south right. side. <laughs> U.S. Cellular guaranteed rate. Which one do you want? Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, but so yes, that was. I always like that was one of the best days of my life. I didn't even pitch the perfect game, and I had a blast and loved it. And you would have thought I did. Uh, but no, the reason it was so exciting is because I talk about that internship being the moment that I knew I wanted to pursue sports reporting. But that was really like the moment. I called my parents after saying like, "Yeah, this is the best day of my life." They're like, "Better than like winning the Ivy League championship." And I was like. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe, maybe, yeah, (laughs) it was, I think what made it so exciting and fun was I was an intern, but I was at the time, uh, like of the conclusion of the game, I was the only person there for ABC. So I had to handle the interviews basically. Um, and so I was kind of, when I talk about being thrown into the fire and not thinking and just doing like, I love that. Right. Um, so I, one of the most memorable things as I watched into that game, of course, uh, Dwayne Wise's catch, one of the best catches of all time, in my opinion, um, just the situation, the catch itself, all of that. And so um, mm-hmm. I remember doing the interview at first, I think I was just taking in the moment I forgot to stick my mic. It, it was just like a scrum around Burley on the field. Um, and then the photographer was like, we need to sound like you got to put your mic in. I was like, oh yeah. <laughs> like, and then um, from there, I interviewed Dwayne Wise, the catcher, the players. Um, and I just, I mean, yeah, I think that's too where my sports experience and my background, it kind of clicks and you just kind of had a feel for the game and like what was important and what, you know, you'd want to ask and stuff. Um, because it was, a a big moment, of course, for Mark Burley. And I guess a big moment for me too, in my career in life. (laughs) Yeah. You couldn't get enough then, right? You just wanted to keep coming back. Yeah. Like, I even said, if that, if that's the peak, cause my parents were like, you know, that's not like every day, like every day is not going to be a perfect day. I was like, <laughs> no, I know. But like, if that's the peak of what this job can be, if that's like the best day, then I'm like, that's awesome. Like if that's what you work for and those are like the special moments, then that's everything. Because even the moments that aren't that are still fun. I mean, when I worked in Milwaukee uh, at the NBC affiliate covering the Brewers, going to Miller Park uh, was I loved it. I mean, sitting at a ballpark and watching a game and reporting on it and telling the stories because I, I love to tell stories. Um, that, I mean, baseball's always been what I've been drawn to because of my softball background and my family. Like my dad played baseball. He played single A for the Orioles. My brother played baseball at Illinois State. So we're kind of a baseball family and that's just kind of the language we've always spoken to each other. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm with you too. I think, I feel like everybody in journalism is a storyteller, right? Like they- yeah. A passion for for the sport, the subject, the the. Per, I, but I think when it comes down to it, people have a passion for for people and for telling stories to other people. And like, you know, that's just something that that always kind of stands out, whether it is you know news or or sports or covering Mark Burley's perfect game or whatever. Um, but I, what's what do you want to go with your career, at least for for the rest of it? Looking forward, it doesn't have to be five or ten years. This isn't like a job interview, but just. <laughs> hopes and thoughts um you know as you as you continue to embark on your career in sports media yeah I feel especially uh after the pandemic like I throw five-year ten-year plans out the window like (laughs) trying to survive um but I truly do love uh my job at Marquee and I love baseball so the more that I can do in baseball the better I have it's actually been through the pandemic and through this time and it's helped me realize just how much I love it Um, and I also love covering softball, you know, I do softball games for big 10 as well. Um, and just being around the sport, how I know sports impacted my life and that I know they can help other people, anything I can do, um, just to be around the game, uh, telling stories. I know that you tell great stories. Uh, it's probably something, you know, that drives you and you love to, to find them and talk to people and learn about people. So, um, that for me is what keeps it fresh and is something that I know that I want to do forever. It sounds cliche, but I do just want to keep growing in this industry. Um, That's kind of like I was talking about as an athlete, it's important for me to never become complacent. Um, I'm constantly trying to get better, learn more, um, and just be, like I was saying too earlier, be the best softball player I can be, be the best reporter, host, analyst, whatever it may be uh, that I can be, and just really continue to be a well-rounded 
um, journalist because I want to be doing this the rest of my life. I mean, it's so talking about a five, 10 year plan. I mean, I really hope to be doing this forever. That's, that's the goal. And you said growth in there. And I think that was like a key word because I think just apart from individually, this is bigger than us. And, and I think baseball sports in general has a lot of room to grow in welcoming women into the game more and incorporating them into the, the sports media industry, into sports in general. Um, I'm just curious your thoughts on it too. Like we are celebrating Women's History Month. As you mentioned, we have this great chat with Caitlin Lewis and her collaboration with the Cubs, but how can, how can baseball in particular, do you think, welcome women in more and grow the game with women? Yeah, I think that a lot of women are fans of baseball and are fans of sports, specifically with baseball. Something that I've always thought about is um, there could be more of a partnership with professional softball. Um, we have actually two teams in Illinois. The Bandits have been around for a while, and then there's a team um, in Southern Illinois as well now. And so um, I always think that if there was more of like this collaboration there. Um, the more that we can pay attention to the game, uh, like at the college level and beyond, and even like girls in the game, even when they're just starting, I mean, why not? Right. Um, that there could be more of this, um, perhaps excitement that sometimes it's lacking or interest that could be lacking. I mean, I know I'm interested, but that's just maybe me and other people, but to really get everyone interested. Sometimes I think it takes um, an ally like that to um, show people that maybe otherwise wouldn't be looking at something like say professional softball or even just softball at you know, any level. Because for me, I've always thought um, softball is super exciting because the pace, it's a lot quicker than baseball. And people always seem to be interested in that and enjoy watching that. Um, but because the games are so similar and I, I'm so drawn to the mental aspect of the game that um, I always see like that to me is the same baseball or softball. And so um, and like I said, that was a huge part of my life and how I think today, like getting through the tough times in sports and and how to overcome those moments, a strikeout um, or making an error in the field. And you can't think about it like all day because then it's going to affect everything. Um, and so that's kind of life, too. Right. Mistakes are going to happen. Things are going to happen. And then what are you going to do after that? So I think um, just kind of sharing the lessons um, and the passion that all of us have, you know, that the, the players have in Major League Baseball that maybe fans have or that softball players have and just kind of bringing that together because that's what we all share. Anyone who loves baseball loves that it's America's pastime, loves that it's this kind of leisure sport, uh, loves that it's, you know, this outdoor fun ballpark atmosphere. Um, I mean, that's what I love about it. And so I think just kind of embracing all of that and not feeling that, you know, women aren't there, are, aren't watching, but just recognizing them more and keeping them or getting more women involved. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it, I think the perspective is, is huge because like for me personally, you know, obviously I have a man in this industry, but my mom was the one who she had the passion for baseball. She taught me to, well, she with me all the time she taught me how to keep a score you know a scorebook and like I still do it I just did it from the from the game today and I've done it every spring and you know she's the one who taught me six three and what position six was and uh, she's the one who didn't have the answer when I asked well why do they go around the diamond and third base is five but then shortstop is six I still haven't met anyone who knows that answer but yeah, no, I'm with you. I think, you know, the passion is really the key for all of this moving forward and, and growing the game with regardless of gender or wherever we go from here. I think it's passion and it's passion for, for storytelling and people exactly like yeah. you said. Yeah, I think that's huge too. It's just telling the stories, like knowing the players outside of who they are on the field, uh, those personalities, because everyone has a story. It's just a matter of finding it out, learning it and telling it. Um, so that's the fun part for us that we hope that we can do, but I think that's like, that's a great story about your mom. Like, what are we talking about me for? Like, that's the stuff. Like, I, I love to hear that stuff. I think that's, I don't know, that's just like so cool to me. And, and it's kind of like, uh, I love the stories like that, where you're kind of learning how people are the way they are or why people are interested in things, um, why they are the way they are. So uh, yeah, I think it's just um, not treating female fans any differently 
it's just kind of embracing that they're there and, and knowing they're part of all of this, you know, I, I like even Caitlin Lewis and her artwork, um, just doing stuff like that. Like let's incorporate that, you know, there's no reason that we can't have women in, like in this artwork and men and just make it all one. Cause I think that's just really the goal, right. To just make us all equal. Absolutely. And now Chicago-based artist Caitlin Lewis joins us on the Cubs Weekly Podcast. Kate, thanks so much for joining us. You're here with us because you have an awesome limited edition collection that is out that incorporates women in baseball history. Uh, your artwork is on t-shirts. I want to get to how you got hooked up with the Cubs, but first, I kind of want to know a little bit more about you and how you got to where you are today, basically, so give it all to me. <laughs> sure, sure. Well, yeah, I'll give a little clip notes. I'm actually here right now in South Florida at my parents' place where I was born and raised. I've been kind of escaping back here during COVID, so, you know, it's a nice little pool outside, but I got my little painted pool behind me here. Um, yeah, I moved up to Chicago about 10 years ago and started doing art once I lived in a more creatively prolific city. I studied um, business and actually travel and tourism in college it was my specialization. So it um, became like this just I guess it just opened worlds when I moved to Chicago and noticed how many creatives there were there that it was possible to explore creative industries. And that was when I started meeting artists and uh, more expressive people and got integrated into the communities there and started really with street art and uh, got my first mural gigs about four or five years ago through other artists in the areas and things have just kind of evolved from there. So this is surely the culmination of it all. And I'm really grateful to be in this position working with the Cubs, but yeah, it all started really moving to Chicago and exploring more, um, you know, working on the business end of art and transitioning into the creative end. So um, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's more or less the backstory. Uh, you mentioned the, the painting behind you. Did you paint that, the pool on the wall then? This is actually uh, one of the local women here. My mom supports a lot of artists in the area. She buys them paints and canvases and everything. So this was somebody else in our area, but she was the same with me always too. She's always said, um, never put a budget on books or art supplies. So <laughs> I've kind of held to that here, you know, decades later. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Go ahead, sir. I was just going to say, um, in terms of the, you mentioned the, the Cubs collaboration too, I, just from your perspective, what, what has that been like? How did that come about for you? Yeah, so the collaboration with the Cubs came about, the conversation started a couple years back now in 2019 when the Cubs originally invited me to do, um, to participate in an event that they were having for sh Chicago creatives. And already that was uh, a really novel endeavor because it's not often you hear of a major sports team reaching out to local artists, you know, to get involved. And that was a really fun opportunity. So a handful of us went over there and had dinner out on the field and they put our, you know, they put our pictures up on the, um, uh, the big screen on the field and it was pretty I mean I, yeah I had a rest in peace moment of like am I dreaming but uh, things have slowly evolved you know we were going to do a hat release through the pubs and uh, it ended up through COVID getting a little postponed so we navigated more into doing something with this respect platform where last month they worked with Nico Washington to do a release for Black History Month and this month for March they're doing one for Women's History Month and I was lucky enough to be the woman that they were involved with for Chicago creatives and um, we got to explore that opportunity and different visuals that it would look like on both a wall t-shirts posters there were all these different outlets that we took that people are able to uh, now purchase through the websites and support a local nonprofit as well called girls in the game yeah I would love to talk more about that also you mentioned your type of artwork that contemporary style that's on these t-shirts also, I want to go back to quickly, if you've had dinner at Wrigley Field, you're like officially a Chicagoan. So you may be from Florida, but like that to me, you're good now. Um, but back to the artwork, really, just all of that. Um, with the women in baseball and the history, I know that it's gotten comparisons to a league of their own. Can you talk to me more about how this project has influenced you, your look at sports, and how it's even going to be impacting women? 
Yeah. So I think originally when I was doing this, I was more kind of expressing my experience as a woman in the world in the 21st century, as a woman who, who works on, um, you know, manual labor and is constantly involved with industries that are mostly male dominated. And so that is kind of my experience and how I express myself visually to the world. Uh, and then when I started doing research through this Cubs project, I started noticing, you know, it's the same in the sports industry that everything really came back to a league of their own rather than just historically women in sports, you know, because it was the only entertainment based, um, you know, uh, spectacle of, of women in baseball. And it prompted me to start thinking, why don't we represent women more in baseball, football, you know, more traditionally uh, male sports. And that was something that I wanted to highlight through this project. So that was what prompted drawing women into the roles of men in all aspects of the baseball industry. And, and yeah, I guess that was the backstory there. <laughs> You also mentioned girls in the game. How, how did you choose them as a partner and, and just um, oh, your overall thoughts on working with them so far throughout your career? Yeah, so I uh, originally when I had the opportunity with the Cubs to partner with a nonprofit, I reached out to a network of women that I have who are women entrepreneurs and they're scattered all around the country. And I reached out to all of them asking if they had any nonprofits that they would recommend. Um, there was probably uh, three or four that every single one gave me. And as I was kind of vetting through that and looking for um, opportunities that were sports oriented or Chicago local organizations or female run organizations, I started narrowing things down and really girls in the game hit just everything that I was hoping to find within a nonprofit organization. And as it turned out, the Cubs were already working with them and had been donors to the organization for 20 years. So it just kind of made sense to work with them. And I felt like their values were very much in line with what I was hoping to partner with, as well as the Cubs in supporting our local community and something we could see at ground level at, in Chicago. Now, as this collection is starting to gain traction and people are seeing it and, and buying it, I know a big part of this too is just having conversations, sparking mm -hmm. discussions. What have you noticed since it's been out there, uh, the feedback you've been getting and the conversations that has started? Yeah, I, I felt like a lot of um, this series and art in general is about prompting conversations. What it makes you feel? Does it make you comfortable or uncomfortable? Is this something that you're used to seeing or not seeing? I feel like a lot of these questions are really important to ask. And so as they're being prompted, as this series is rolling out and um, t-shirts and posters are being made that represent women, they're not just the Cubs logo on a V-neck t-shirt. It's like the you know, the subjects of the, of the art are women. Um, it's, it's been interesting, I guess, from both the male and female perspective to see what questions I get asked about it. And I feel like from the creative standpoint, I'm often thinking it's less about what I feel like the intention was sometimes and more about what other people are perceiving it to be. Art is all about asking questions and, um, and finding your own answers. So I'm curious to see how that evolves over the course of this month. <laughs> What you did the panel too, I know with uh, with Laura Ricketts and, and others at Wrigley Field. What was that experience like too? And, and did you ever think, you know, when you were starting your career as an artist, you'd end up kind of on the overlooking Wrigley Field on a panel talking about your art? No, gosh, not ever. I don't know that I ever envisioned a possibility like that on the horizon. So incredibly humbling is probably the best answer. Um, just, yeah, sitting in between uh, Laura and Colin was really an, an incredible experience to listen to, to well-articulate people, as well as the other women who were representing nonprofits uh, in our area were, I guess, just to be around so many entrepreneurial-minded people, as well as well-articulate and kind mm -hmm. and really team oriented. I feel like that's something that I keep coming back to with working in these sports organizations is how team oriented everyone is and how impressed I am by that. I feel like that's been a big takeaway for me because I'm constantly surrounded by artists and creatives who are very individually like, you know, kind of going through the motions and trying to push their visions forward. And uh, working with so many people that are a part of a team makes me see the value in being surrounded by people who you want to be like. Uh, and that, that was the, what I was pulling from being a part of that panel was being surrounded by people that inspire me and make me want to be a better influencer in the world. <laughs> it was a great panel. It was a really good discussion. I think it also enhanced it that there was a man on the panel as well talking yeah. about 
uh, women issues, but it was a great, you know, overall discussion. I'm curious, as I think about your artwork and what you've done and this particular collection, what kind of inspired you? Because I look at the colors and the way you chose to put the women kind of like in the corner of one of them and have Ridley Field in the background, just kind of, can you explain your thoughts and feelings as you were putting this artwork together? Yeah, so I think from a creative standpoint, every artist is always trying to incorporate a little bit of their own personality into everything that they make. Um, I tend to do that creatively with the color palettes that I choose. So I gravitate towards a lot of tropical colors, teals, yellows, pinks, things that represent where I grew up here in Florida. Um, so that was how the color palette evolved as well as, you know, there were moments where I was thinking like the single, you know, like, let's go finger, I would substitute out for a shaka because I'm much more of a surfer. So there's opportunities like that to incorporate a little bit of personality into the mix. And I really enjoy those moments. Um, uh, so yeah, I feel like that's a fun opportunity as an artist. Um, and I'm so sorry, what was the remainder of the no, <laughs> question? Perfect, just kind of what inspired you between the colors, the design, I think you pretty much answered it. So. <laughs> that was awesome. I mean, I'll ask you one more, we can wrap it up with this because now that you've been working with the Cubs, you have this partnership, what's next? Are we doing more sports? Are we doing more women in sports? <laughs> well, there's a lot of murals that you could check out right in Chicago. Chicago has been my home base now for 10 years. And I actually consider myself more of a Chicagoan than a Floridian, you know, pool, pool imagery aside. <laughs> um, but uh, so I, I will constantly be working in and creating new relationships in Chicago. Um, a big goal is to work outside of the city as well and to start traveling a little bit more as restrictions lighten. Um, I feel like my major motivation is really just encouraging other artists to create more. If people feel the compulsion to uh, to make art, not be afraid to do it. And I feel like that's one of my major motivators is inspiring other people to create, knowing that, you know, I had a business background and didn't step into art until I was in my late 20s. It's never too late to change paths and pursue what you what you love. Um, uh, a big one that people can check out, which I would love, would be along the Chicago Riverwalk. It's a 180 foot long mural. And again, playing into the, you know, how much I love women and, and being supported and surrounded by women. That was an all female team. It took us six weeks to create that one. And it will be up for possibly the next decade. So that's a wonderful um, space uh, to explore Chicago and Chicago art in general is right in between Michigan and uh, Wacker on lower sorry, Michigan and Wabash on Lower Wacker. <laughs> great, what a great location and more of your artwork to be out there. I know that we appreciate your creativity, the Cubs do, and thank you for the work that you've been doing. Thank you so much. This is a great opportunity. I'm so grateful to be involved with such an amazing team. <laughs> Somebody that brings community together so well. <laughs> How you say fly the W, right? Go Cubs Exactly. Go. <laughs> <laughs> That'll do it for this week's edition of the Cubs Weekly Podcast. Tony, thank you so much for having me. It was so fun chatting with you. Uh, but this edition of the Cubs Weekly Podcast is brought to you by Rickstone Support. Don't forget to download and subscribe to the pod on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And make sure to check out the video of this podcast on the Marquee Sports Network app. For Tony Andracki, I'm Elise Meneker. It's been fun. We'll see you next week.